Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, you've already heard that I am Pastor Henseling from Institutional Ministries. You might have also noticed that I'm wearing something a little unusual, and I'm going to tell you just a second about that. Uh, this is our old logo. We have a new one that you'll see later, but this is our old logo. Uh, Institutional Ministries goes to the hearts of people who happen to be in places like hospitals and uh, other uh, critical care situations in jails and prisons who are in mental health centers or might be home with PTSD or depression or something else, who are boxed in in some way. And then in the bottom of my stole, you'll see a whole bunch of colors. And those of you who know something about the altar know that these are all the altar colors, right? Except they're in the wrong order if you think about the church here. And we have them in this order to remind you that often we go to people who are feeling like they're in darkness. They may not know the Lord Jesus at all. And we tell them about the blood of Jesus who cleansed them from all sin and made them as white as snow. So that hopefully as they learn that message, they become repentant children of God who want to keep growing in Jesus Christ until that great day when blue they're with him in heaven. Now that's the focus of our ministry. That's what we're all about. That's who Institutional Ministries is. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 23. You see it on a handout that I gave you. If you don't have that handout, why don't you raise your hand and we'll make sure one gets to you. We'd like everyone to have that handout in front of you. It looks a little different the way it's shaped, and I'll be talking about that in just a minute and about the colors in just a minute as well. But for right now, I know that most of you know it fairly well. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of our Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, my dear friends. When we think of shepherds, I think typically we think of, when I say shepherds, I mean the ones who are shepherding under the good shepherd. We usually think of our pastor, right? You think of your pastor. But I'd like you to think bigger than that today, to recognize that if you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you are a big brother, a big sister, then you're also a shepherd. If you're a Sunday school teacher, a day school teacher, an elder, if you have any role in God's church, you are a shepherd. And so your demeanor, your kindness, your quality of work, the way that you act around people, all represent your good shepherd to others. So it's really valuable that we understand what our Lord tells us about what our Good Shepherd is like, and we understand how we can both love him and then also imitate him as our Good Shepherd. And I say that because I recognize I need a shepherd, and I hope you can say with me, I need a shepherd. I say that because I grew up a farm boy, 
and I know what sheep do. I know what sheep are like. Do you know that sheep are dumb enough to eat themselves sick? If they get out into the area they're not supposed to be, let's say, fresh corn, they'll just keep eating that corn and eating that corn until they bloat, they fill up with gas in their stomach so large that it stops their heart, it stops their breathing, and they're dead. Sheep can run and, because they're afraid of something, something chased them, something scared them. They can run and get themselves lost and not know the way home. Sheep can go into some place that they thought they wanted to get to. They might step over a little bit of a board or something to get in there, and then they aren't smart enough to turn themselves around to go back out. And so they back up and they bump into that, whatever it is, and they aren't smart enough to step over it, and they're stuck in there. Unless you get them out, they don't get out. Yeah, like it or not, sheep are kind of dumb. And I got worse news for you. God called you and me sheep. <laughs> Sorry about that. But that's the truth about what we're like. We need a shepherd. We really do truly need a shepherd. And God is driving that point home to us all the time. Now what you have before you is not just Psalm 23. It's Psalm 23 kind of laid out in an unusual way to help you see the Hebrew poetry that's inside of it. Hebrew poetry is usually symmetrical. It's symmetrical. Um, and it's different than the way that English usually thinks and uh, works. So think about a novel for just a minute. You're reading this mystery novel. It gets a little bit of excitement at the beginning, a little more excitement, more, 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 more. Gets to the climax right before the very end of the, of the book, and boom, the book is over, right? It builds, builds, builds to the end, and it's done. Hebrew poetry from both the beginning and the end builds to a center, and the climax point is in the center of the poetry. So if you took your sheet and you turned it sideways, you'd see a mountain peak in what I showed you there. Uh, it, it has a climax in the center. Those bold, dark words in the very center are, are the climax of the psalm. And once you recognize that, it brings you home a, a concept in, a, I think, a clearer way than you'd maybe see it just reading through the psalm otherwise. So what's the main point of this psalm? It's everything's okay, folks. God's got it. That's the main focus. The end is not the end because God's got it. And how God say that? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That truth that I can fear no evil, that you are with me, that God's got it, that began with the shepherd and it ends with the shepherd. I should be going this way for you. Ends with the shepherd. In the very first verse, we have the Lord is my shepherd. That's why it's okay. And it ends with, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's because of the Lord, our shepherd, that our life begins and ends. It's all about the shepherd. As you think about how the shepherd guides us, and then you look at your own life, do you recognize that there are some times that we are able to weather the great big crises and then we'll fall apart over the little stuff. Ever had that happen? This is true confession time now. 
When 911 happened, and some of you are old enough to remember that like I am, when the towers fell, I lived in Connecticut at that time. I was a pastor in Connecticut at that time. And that sent electric shocks through my congregation. Why? Because a lot of my people worked with the Hartford insurance agencies and the big towers in Hartford. They thought that might be the next place hit, for one. And the other reason why it was such an electric shock for them was many of those people called the towers daily. And so this is how it would work. You, you, you dial the phone in the morning. Hello, Judy. Because you always talk to Judy in the tower. How are you doing today? We gotta hook our computers together and we're gonna send some stuff across from my stuff to your stuff and your stuff to mine. And while that syncing is happening, we talk to each other. How are your kids doing? You told me yesterday your, your little daughter had tonsillitis. Is she getting better? You're having daily conversations like that. And this is the last time you ever talk to Judy ever because Judy doesn't exist anymore in this life. Judy is gone. Yeah, that sent shockwaves through my congregation. So what did we do? We got placards and we put them out in front of our church and one side said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And the other side said, God bless America. And every couple of days we had a new one out there that said another message. And we continue to change those because in front of our little church, on our little street, it was a two-lane road at that time, it's four now, 20,000 cars went by per day. And so it was our chance to talk to the whole community about the pain that they were feeling. Yeah, we weathered that fine. And then Christmas came. Christmas came and we put out the creche out in front of our church and put our plastic ornaments in there, our plastic Mary and Jesus and plastic baby Jesus and plastic everything, right? And the lights inside of them that light up at night. And about a, night, a day or two later, they were all gone. The creche was standing there and it was empty. And this for me was a low point. I'd, I'd weathered the other thing just fine. And now I just, it just it was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I remember going to my council, talking to them about it, and just being really down. And one of my council members said, this is an evangelism moment. We're going to go talk to the TV. We're going to go see if we can get someone to do a spot, and we're going to tell them about it and get a chance to have our place on TV. Our church is going to be on TV. And so I tried, and sure enough, I got someone to come out and they didn't give a very good gospel message witness. They didn't allow that. They cut out everything I said. But they did tell that we lost our creche, or the things in the creche. And a couple nights later, it's just getting dark, and this junky old van comes rumbling in, and the back doors pop out, open, and out dumps all of our stuff. So some parent someplace knew what their kids had done and told them to bring it back. Yeah. God was at work the whole time. What seemed like the end to me wasn't the end. The end is never the end. It's not the end because our Savior's in charge and he's got it. It's all okay because he is not allowing evil to conquer. Consider the early church for just a minute. 
Acts chapter 4, we see John and Peter brought into uh, in front of the, the, the Sanhedrin and, and told by the authorities to never speak again that name of Jesus. There's the end of the church, right? No, they go back out and keep talking. And a chapter later, we find them arrested again. The end, no, they keep going out. In chapter 6, 7, and 8, we find that the people of God are being persecuted. Stephen is taken, and he's stoned to death. And there's a great persecution that follows. There is surely the end of the church, huh? But instead, God sends his people out running for their lives. It's called the diaspora. They disperse. And everywhere they go, they tell the news of Jesus. And the church grows instead. And there was a man there who was holding all the coats. He was kingfish in getting people killed. And instead of letting him end things, God converted him and made him into the Apostle Paul. And God says about him, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that Paul goes on missionary trips. And on his second trip, he's going to go into Asia, going to go north. Today that would be probably Bulgaria. And the Spirit stops him. Again, the end, no. God sends him across to the Grecian Peninsula, to Philippi, and then on down that peninsula, and reaps a great harvest for the Lord. In the very same way, God has worked a great harvest at institutional ministries over the last year and a half. We have over 100 chaplains and volunteers who go behind walls, who were busy doing that and suddenly COVID came and all of our work seemed to end. It seemed like the end of institutional ministries to some of our chaplains. They were really feeling depressed, some of them. Was that the end? No. What had happened was, previous to this time, I had been telling our people someday the system of, of the state is going to get beyond the dark ages and they're going to start doing things electronically someday and we need to be ready for that. So let's get an email ministry ready to go. <clears throat> and we had been working on that. We had it in its, in its beginning stages. We had, it, we had it together and we began to invite inmates. If you are interested, just uh, send us one email and ask to be connected to our email system and we'll send you an email devotion six days a week at our cost. By the way, it costs a dime for an email into a prison because there's a security company in between. So you pay a dime for every single email. We had one lady at Tachita Correctional who said, yes, I'd like that. And her bunkmate saw it and said, I want that too. So in January of 2020, we had two people. And we were doing all the work to have all the devotions ready and everything for two people. You can do as much work for two as you can for 200. So... Uh, yeah, we were doing the work for two people. And then COVID hit. And suddenly all kinds of people inside the prison are saying, I might die in prison and never get out. Or my family might die outside of prison, I'll never see them again. I can't, don't even get to talk to them, I don't even get to see them right now. And I need hope, I need comfort, I need peace. And they started signing up, could I please have your devotions? Could I please have your devotions? And we had less than 100 people that we had 
We, we'd invited every, every person that we ministered to before. Feel free to sign up for this. Less than 100 signed up. Well, we'd like your email ministry. But those people told other people, and those people told other people. And inmates who started on the devotions wrote us letters back and said, can I invite these other people that I care about who are in, in the prison with me? We'd say, yes, yes, do invite them. And today, we're past 300 people who are receiving our devotions six days a week. Past 300, and it's just growing. The, the, the angle of the growth is um, about a 40-degree angle of, of how fast it's growing. Just to, to look at a growth chart of it, it just blows your mind to see it. Um, God is doing that, and he's continuing to do it. And as I said, two-thirds of them are people we've never even met yet. We've never had a relationship with. And now as people like Gary are able to go back in to be, begin again touching people face-to-face, -face, we're going to get to say to every one of those 300, by the way, if you're at Racine Correctional, this is a person you can go see, and this is when you can see him. If you're at Tachita, this is how. If you're at Dodge, this is how. <clears throat> and to allow them each to be able to now begin to also have a personal relationship with someone who goes in and helps them with chaplaincy. You see, the, never, the end is never the end, even when it looks like the end to us, because God is in charge. Back to St. Paul, what looked like the end of his trip was when he got arrested. But no, he sat and languished in jail, and then he asked to be able to uh, have his case retried at Rome, and he got sent to Rome, and surely that looks like the end. No, he seems to have gotten out, but then he got back, he got arrested again, it looks like, and finally he is killed. Surely that's the end, right? No, just a sheep died. But the shepherd had already died for your sins and risen to life. And because the shepherd is alive and reigns forever and ever, amen, because of that, the end is not the end. No, the end is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's something more you should know about sheep. Sheep stink. That might be a surprise to you, but sheep stink. If you're trying to move a sheep and you, you grab on that wool to, to move that sheep, your hands come off all greasy because there's so much that's called lanolin in their uh, hide in, and in their uh, wool that comes out of their hide into their wool. So much lanolin. And that lanolin, until it's purified, is smelly. In fact, it stinks so much that it was the system that Joseph used in the Old Testament to keep his people out of idolatry. When the family had to move down to Egypt because of the famine, he told them, when Pharaoh asks you, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Those shepherds, the sons of Israel, were treated like untouchables. They weren't the actual untouchables. It was their sheep that were the untouchables. They were the stinky ones, but the stinky sheep made the shepherds stinky. Yeah, we're the sheep. We're the untouchables. And our Lord was willing to become a stinky one for us. He was willing to take upon himself all the stink of all of our sin and then to wash it clean, wash it away 
at the cross. Our shepherd was born among sheep to die because of their stinking sin, smeared all over him, that he could rise and prove us clean. Wow. Untouchables touched by the shepherd. I told you that there was parallelism in this psalm. We're going to now look at the blue parts, top and bottom of the psalm. The blue part that says in verse 3, he restores my soul, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then when you look down to verse 5, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God sets the table before us. God feeds us in his word. God provides us the word and the sacrament. And there he restores our souls. There he guides us to understand that his death was in our place that he is the perfect one, that we're righteous not because of ourselves, but because of what he has done, that his gift to us is perfection. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And because of that, even when bad things happen, we know that God is there with us. So now look at the red part. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even at the worst day of my life, even at my death, even then, and I'll take the middle part too, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Why? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod of God, his law, has corrected me and guided me and you and his gospel. The staff pulls us close to him, heals us, protects us, so that we, these untouchables, have been touched by the shepherd in a beautiful way. And now he wants our lives also to touch others. He wants us to be ones who show others what he has shown us. He wants our life to be so much a life of love that when other people walk into this congregation and look at you, or when they come to your home and they see you, they say, wow. Look how they love one another. Look how they care about one another. What's going on with those people that they love like that? And he wants your death to do the same thing. He wants you to be so confident at your death that when you die, you're in heaven with Jesus. God's got it. It's all okay. Even though I walk through death, even then I don't have to be afraid because you're with me. You've got it. Even then... I'm waiting to see the nail-marked hands and to hold them and to thank him for what he's done. Yeah, that's not a day of fear when we understand that truth. We skipped a part, didn't we? We skipped the part in green, and I did that on purpose. We're going to go back to that now. That part in green says in verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then at the end, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God pictures himself as the one who brings us the water, the living water of our lives. And that's so important to us because we like the river water. We like the dirty water. And we so often go after that dirty water, even though we know better. And to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I'll tell you that my little granddaughter has a little pool that's about as big around as the top of this uh, area that I'm standing in here. <clears throat> it's about that deep. And they put water in it for her, and then what does she do? She steps in, and she steps out, steps in, steps out, 
And every time she steps in, she carries grass in. And every time she steps out, she makes a mud puddle. And then every time she steps in, she brings the mud in. And then she steps out again and brings more mud in. And she carries a toy in and carries a toy out. And then pretty soon, she takes her toy glass and she puts it down and... No, 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 don't drink! That's what we're like. We like the river water. We like the garbage and we go after it when we know better. But our Lord offers us living water, the water that wells up to eternal life in his word and in his sacrament. And he continues to use that word and sacrament to strengthen us and to keep us daily. So that the great, the divine truth always is, each and every single day, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God's got it. And finally, I want you to look at the first half and the last half of this psalm. I put a word in purple. If you look at the first half of the psalm, you will see you, you, I'm, I'm sorry, he, 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 he. And you look at the second half and you see you, 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 you. The psalmist tells others about the Lord. This is what our Savior is like. He does this, he does this, he does this, he does this. And then in praise, he says to his Lord, you, 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 you. This is what he's like. And thank you, Lord, for what you're like. And now we give you thanks, we give you praise. So let yourself see that he and that you and recognize that the first half is how God wants us to tell others. And the second half is showing you the way that we respond in praise when we know these truths. When we know who our shepherd is and when we know what he's done, then that has made all the difference because then we know that God's got it, that there's nothing I have to worry about. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Amen.